Hello, 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 podcast listeners. I hope all is well with you and yours on this day, which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. So what's the weather like where you're at? Spring, summer, fall? Well, a calendar might say it's spring, but in some states, it might feel like something else. Like here in Michigan, where we go up, and down. It depends on the day and the time. Now, I don't know about you, but I've seen a serious shift in the weather patterns over the past few years. You can't tell one season from another. And quite frankly, it's a little bit scary. But what isn't these days? I guess we just have to stay prayerful at all times. Now, speaking of scary, Our topic for this episode is titled, Gaslighting in Women's Health. Now, in case you're not familiar with the term gaslight, let me enlighten you. It's a term used to describe the psychological manipulation in which one person causes another to doubt their perception of reality. In other words to make someone question their own sanity or powers of reasoning. So I guess the term gaslighting is the new term for something that's been happening for decades. In any case, if you didn't know, now you know. Our subject matter today is in the context of women's health, where gaslighting is referred to a situation in which a woman's symptoms or health concerns are dismissed, minimized, or invalidated by a medical professional, even when you express your concerns. That's what's meant by the psychological manipulation. A medical provider will make you think that your concerns are not valid, Has that ever happened to you? If so, then you have been gaslit. I'm sure it has, and more often than not. Maybe you've heard it used in these terms, where your provider will blame your symptoms on stress, anxiety, weight gain, or the best one of all, age. The go-to or catch-all answers for everything. Now, I'm not a doctor, and I'm not saying that they are wrong. But by any chance, could there be the slightest possibility is something more severe or not? And the things I just mentioned are the result of. But they will explain it away using these common conditions. The problem with gaslighting with regards to health care is it could cause a delay in diagnosing a legitimate condition and ultimately a delay in treatment. As a matter of fact, that's what motivated me to start this podcast, to advocate for self-care. Now, let me take a moment right here to put in my disclaimer. I am not, and I repeat, I am not a medical provider. I don't have a medical license or in no way offering you medical advice. My intent here is to simply bring awareness 
on the importance of advocating for your own health, self-care, and to be proactive. Seek medical help when necessary. Ask questions. Do your research. Ask more questions. And if you're not happy with your current medical provider, change. Now, according to my research, here are a few examples of what gaslighting might look like with respects to women's health. When you're told menstrual pain is just a part of being a woman and that there's nothing that can be done about it. Well, we know there are several known treatment plans available to relieve pain, depending on the underlying cause. And that's the point here. What is the underlying cause? So be persistent until you have a reasonable answer. Simply saying that menstrual pain is just a part of being a woman is not an answer. To me, it's just an excuse. In other words, you have been gaslit. Another example, postpartum depression is just baby blues and that it will pass on its own. Now, although the research shows that about 80% of new mothers experience some degree of postpartum blues, we also know that it can be detrimental to the mother and the newborn. I recently read in the New York Post, they had reported just this past January, the tragic story where a Massachusetts mother was charged with killing her three children, casting the spotlight on postpartum psychotics. So for some women, it just won't pass. And if it does, it's to the detriment of their physical, mental being, and even to the children. So we know that gaslighting is around, and that it is unacceptable to be told that postpartum depression will just pass because you don't know how that individual will take it or respond. And my third example is, this one is a good one. How about let's wait and see what happens after you've reported a concern or an issue. And if things don't improve, make another appointment and we'll talk about it then. Like, that might be too late. I'm here now. I've expressed my concern. Why can't we talk about it now? Why do we have to wait? So when you've been given that answer, once again, you've been gaslit. Now, I'm sure there are plenty more, more than I can have time for in this podcast. But what we know for sure is gaslighting can have serious consequences for women both physically and mentally. And that has been proven. So if you feel you've been gaslit, it's essential not only to recognize when it's been done, but to address the situation. You have the right to ask questions and a right to have your concerns addressed. Now, according to my research, Here are a few steps that you can take if you feel you have been gaslit. I'll give you five. Number one, first of all, trust your instincts. 
If you feel like something is wrong, trust your gut feeling. They are valid and you have a right to be heard. And if you're wrong, isn't it best to err on the side of caution than to actually have something go wrong and who knows what will happen after that? Number two is to document your symptoms. Keep a diary. After all, you may be the first, and most times you are the first to know that something is wrong. So keep a record of anything you may notice, like when the symptom occurred, how often it happens, any patterns, because the more details you can provide your medical professional, the better your practitioner can assist you with a resolution. Number three, seek a second opinion. Now, if you feel like your concerns are not being addressed, seek a second opinion from another healthcare provider. But make sure your insurance will cover that second opinion if you don't want to be stuck with the bill. But most times, if it's something serious enough, the insurance companies will allow you to get a second opinion. And sometimes they even require it. Number four, I can't iterate enough. Educate yourself. Learn about your symptoms, health conditions, and treatment options. But make sure you use a reliable source. Don't just pop on the internet just because it says. And although there's a lot of valid information on the internet, use it wisely. There are also a lot of medical resources, free medical resources available where you can trust the information. When I was looking for a doctor to remove my fibroids, I checked around. First of all, I wanted a female because she would be more compassionate. She had to be board certified because that meant she had to pass some tests that were more rigorous than just Getting a license and how long she was in practice was important to me. And of course, which hospital the services were going to be rendered. All of that information was important. And the fifth thing is to file a complaint. If you feel like you've been mistreated or gaslit by a healthcare professional, Consider filing a complaint with their practice or with the regulatory agency because this can help hold the practitioner accountable and prevent similar situations from happening to other folks. Not all doctors have good bedside manners. Now remember, I said gaslighting is a form of psychological abuse and it's never okay for a healthcare provider or others to dismiss or invalidate your experience. By taking these steps and advocating for yourself, you can protect your health, your dignity, and your well-being. And most importantly, especially for those who are unable to speak or do the same for themselves. Now, as a patient, you have several rights, and they are protected by law. 
And these rights ensure that you receive respectful, safe, and high-quality health services. And just to name a few, the right to receive health care services without discrimination based on race, ethics, religion, gender, sexual orientation, or any other personal characteristics that should have been ethnicity. The right to receive respectful, dignified, and compassionate care from healthcare providers. And we know sometimes healthcare providers are not compassionate. And I'm not sure if that is a personal characteristic of theirs or if they are safeguarding themselves. We do have to be considerate of the practitioners as well because they see a lot of people um, on a daily basis and they have to sometimes protect themselves. You have the right to receive clear and understandable information about your health care treatment options, and potential risks and benefits. Now, I know a lot of times, like if you've ever been to the emergency room and they give you all of these instructions and they go over them very quickly with you, or perhaps even if you've had a procedure, and a lot of times, you know, they'll go over it so fast, so quickly. When we get home, what do you do? Well, I say call back. Call back to the emergency room if you don't clearly understand the directions or call your doctor if you don't clearly um, understand the instructions on how to take care of a wound, um, when your medications were supposed to be taken, because sometimes this information is given to you and you're not really comprehending it, which is why they ask you to bring someone with you. So for your part, when you take someone with you, make sure that they clearly understand or are capable of understanding the instructions. And if they don't, then ask again. Ask the question again, because a lot of this, when it comes to our health, is serious and we just can't minimize it. So we have a responsibility as well. You also have the right to receive care in a safe and clean environment, free from physical or emotional abuse, neglect, or exploitation. Now, I know once um, in a hospital where I read, someone reported that when they were in a surgical room or something, they noticed when they went in, there were blood stains on um the bed or somewhere, that is unacceptable. Most people can pick up, they say, um, conditions or things that they did not have inside of a hospital because, quite frankly, I don't know how clean they can be considering all of the people that come in most are have certain health conditions that could be transferred or diseases that could be transferred. So they do have a responsibility to make sure that the environment is clean and as clean as it possibly can be. 
So to spot a blood stain is pretty serious. And I guess I would report that as well, because that means someone did not do their job. Now, you also have the right to file a complaint or grievance. As I said earlier, if you feel that your rights haven't been violated or that you are not satisfied with the care that you have received, you have a right to file a complaint. It's important to be aware of your patient rights and to advocate for yourself, even if you've never been gaslit. You shouldn't solely depend on healthcare providers for your care because you have a responsibility to yourself. So the next time you sign off on that patient advocate form, take the time to read it. It clearly states your rights and resolutions if you have any problems or concerns. So briefly, back over those um, five things that you want to do to make sure that you don't get gaslit is to trust your instincts. If something is not right, then address it. You want to document all your symptoms. Keep that diary because it's your best resources when you get into the doctor's office and to be able to speak about what is wrong. Seek a second opinion if you don't feel like you are getting the services you need or that you are going unheard. Educate yourself from reliable sources You want to make sure that you follow up and do your own due diligence and check out your symptoms, uh, what could possibly be the reasoning, anything that maybe a doctor has given you, whether it's a prescription or uh, medications uh, or anything, creams that you've been given. I follow up on all that. I read it. And a lot of times when a doctor wants to give me a prescription as a resolution, I decide on whether I want to take it or not. When I had restless legs, uh, they want to give me a pill for that. Well, no, I want to get to the underlying cause. So I refuse the prescription. That's That's me taking accountability for myself. And then, of course, back to filing a complaint. So what would I want to leave you with today's call of action? Well, on your next visit to the doctor, I want you to speak up. If you have any questions or concerns, make sure that you are heard. Make sure that when you leave that doctor's office, you have some form of satisfaction that he has heard what you said and given you a reasonable response or an answer to any concerns that you might have. If it's necessary for you to take that diary in so that you remember everything you want to address, then do that. Because I can remember on a couple of occasions when I used to go to one of those health clinics that the doctor's appointments were 10 minutes apart, meaning he barely had time to come in and speak to me. So I made it a point because they rush you 
to have everything written down so that I don't forget. So hopefully I have given you enough information to empower yourself from being gaslit. So the next time you go in there and know what you want and get it. And don't forget, as always, to pamper yourself. Blessings. Blessings.